0: Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's Tech Talks, we have Jason. He is the Chief Transformation Officer from WaveMaker. But before that, Hiya Jack. Hello. How is your Friday progressing?
1: Yeah, last day ever in the Harvey Nash office. That's a lie because you'll probably be here next week to record some podcasts. Last day ever as a Harvey Nash employee. I'm going to have to get you registered as a guest. You're going to have to get me, yeah, every week. You're going to have to go to the reception. (sighs) Jack, come up again, please.
0: It's going to be frustrating.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, God, imagine taking five seconds out of your day to make sure the podcast runs smoothly. Maybe
0: I could go down to the drift instead.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. We've had some good recordings in the Drift, we've had some bad recordings in the Drift, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there's always good coffee.
1: It's always fantastic coffee. Only sometimes do we get a chocolate brownie with it, though. Yes, yes. Oh, great. speaking of chocolate brownies, I ordered a Deliveroo last night, mm-hmm. got free chocolate brownie with it. Really? What did yeah. you order? I ordered just a burger and chips from Dinosaur Burger. Really nice in Mile End. I've never heard of me, Dinosaur yeah. Burger. And I tried to Google Maps them, and I couldn't find them anywhere. I literally think it's someone's kitchen.
0: Why, why, hang on, right, why Dinosaur Burger? Why, why, I mean, do they do like, I don't know, Tyrannosaurus mechs? Dinosaur
1: Burger came, so I was on my own last night. Rosie was out um, and I forgot to pick dinner up on the way home. And, and Dinosaur Burger did a very reasonable meal deal via Deliveroo that was burger chips and drink for about £9
0: but there must have some theme going on here with the yeah there's it.
1: dinosaur stickers that I don't, I, there's no like yeah there's no T-Rex burger or Pterodactyl wings or oh, stuff Pterodactyl like that. wings would be good yeah that's yeah, amazing see. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that was that's
0: fun. better than ty- Tyrannosaurus Mex, which was yeah oh, I want not let us
1: go! give you that you've got a bit of a pun in there but yeah so anyway um, yeah got free chocolate branding with that I was well very happy nice,
0: very nice um, obviously this is going to be going out on Monday when yes. we will be the best of Fremenies
1: yeah I know We're um, our teams play each other I think one of us was on holiday when we played each other last I don't remember us talking about it no it was a Jacques a long range goal that I think was the difference on that day I have no
0: expectations
1: uh, I mean we Arsenal have to win like we have to win all of our remaining games you know um, you're Newcastle is safe from relegation now. Yeah, more or less. Not much to play for, uh, so who knows?
0: Um, most people probably forget that I'm a Geordie given that my accent has long since disappeared or I never really had a particularly strong one anyway. Like you a posh Geordie? No. <laughs> a posh Geordie would still have a Geordie accent.
1: I think you maybe, uh, you've got uh, one of those accents that is more susceptible to its surroundings perhaps to say that when you came to Essex as an
0: impressionable young man... Um, no, my mum's from Dagenham and my dad is from from the Lake District, so I didn't oh, really have a strong Jolly accent. How did
1: you come up
0: there, then? University. Oh, OK, all right. Yeah, Makes yeah. sense. But that is a nice segue into today's show because towards the end of it, myself and Jason talk about regional accents in advertising and marketing. Which is like, Australians' accents are picked up by Siri. Or sell beer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 there's there's the two things that we can distinguish there. Yeah,
1: Foster's has absolutely nothing to do with Australia. It's brewed and invented in England.
0: It's also shit.
1: It's also disgusting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Heineken adverts do they have Danish accents?
1: Uh, they've got their recent campaign or campaign a few years ago it's Mad Mickelson all over it Mads Mickelson go. and he is the old man dang. sorry Hamlet but Mad Mickelson is
0: well we'll talk about accents later I'm sure as, as the show goes on but we should probably hand over to Jason to explain exactly why we get onto that conversation uh, as we said he works for Wavemaker they're part of WPP hope you enjoy the interview so today we are joined by Jason. Uh, thanks for making some time and, and coming and having a chat. Absolute pleasure. You are the Chief Transformation Officer of Wavemaker.
2: Yeah, Wave right.
0: Wavemaker, a new brand part of WPP, right?
2: That's right, yeah. Wavemaker okay, was about a year and two months old now, officially. Yep. Um, it was uh, a business that was born out of the merger of two quite well-established ton of legacy businesses, one called MEC, one called Maxis. Uh, and those two businesses were brought together to uh, actually Back when WPP was being run by Martin Sorrell, yeah, um, and it was done to, to, if you like, create a new type of agency for clients to kind of like you know look at and potentially maybe address some of the emerging you know kind of challenges that the clients were facing, and do that from a from a position where we had no legacy of being a traditional media business, if that makes sense. So we could yeah. kind of reinvent what we were doing, challenge your brand, I guess. Yeah, a little bit, and it, it was kind of kind of both kind of. Um, liberating and scary at the same time which was you know if you had a sort of blank sheet of paper you know and sort of like developing the agency of today in the future what would you do where would you start from and often you talk about those things in the in the bar or the coffee shop or wherever it is um, but to actually be given the opportunity to do that and you know with a business of the scale of both Maxis and MBC combined is kind of quite something.
0: How has that been received? Because whilst it's a a great idea in principle, you can take it out of the market.
2: So we are taking, you know, and, and, you know, let's be really honest, we're still brand new, you know. Yes, we've launched, we launched really successfully, you know, we have a presence in over 60 60 markets, there are over 8,500 wave makers globally, you know, and we have a footprint in every major market. Um, The reality is we are a year and two months old, so, you know, it's taking some time, we've done some great work, um, you know, and it's about building... Building upon the promise that we kind of launched with, to kind of now prove to clients that we are actually delivering against the things that we said that we would do. Yeah. You know, and of course, by definition, it never never stops. So we've only just got through sort of like 14 months, and we're already looking at how we now to kind of reiterate and move on again. Now, when you say to someone that you're the CTO, yeah, they probably think of another team. They do. So why choose this one? So I guess. Someone in my particular position would probably more be traditionally called a, a chief global chief product officer or a chief product officer uh, in the sense that I am responsible for developing products and services that we actually kind of like deliver to clients. Yeah, yeah. The reason why we chose transformation is because we kind of felt that whilst our job is to solve client problems and my job is to kind of build solutions that help us solve more of those client problems, we should also be doing a job to kind of you know, transforming our people internally as well. So I think you can kind of do a really good job of not just transforming clients, but also your own business through the products and services that you actually develop. And I think really it was quite a literal marker for our internal audience as much as anything else to say, you know, when we build new stuff that addresses client problems, you should be thinking about how that's changing your world too. Um, and if you like, change the nature of what we do from the inside out. So that's the reason for, if you like, choosing that as a a job title. And
0: was there an element that the staff that you've got at WaveMaker come from, I suppose, more traditional aspects of the industry, and therefore it's it's a slightly new
2: philosophy for them as well? Actually, no. Um, In truth, we're quite lucky in that both MEC and Maxis were very digital and tech-driven by nature. And I think, you know, I've no idea why... The decision was made to merge those two businesses, but I suspect that was a major reason because it was felt that we could create something very new um, from two businesses that were very, very forward focused, very data literate, very tech literate, but I suspect, you know, would be perceived as coming from more of a traditional background, albeit that's not necessarily what they were. So, I, you know, so in a way, we kind of started off in a really good position. We didn't have to do a lot of re-engineering or a lot of rehiring. It was just about organising ourselves in the right way around a clearer vision.
0: Yeah. Out of interest, what, in your opinion then, <coughs>
2: uh, and from experience, are the challenges that stop an organisation going through a period of change? Um, I think, well, we could talk about all of the obvious negative ones. Yep. So uh, politics, we um, could talk about existing silos, Talk about fiefdoms. Um, the reality is, the majority of people I come across in in advertising, whether it be kind of media or kind of ad agencies, they're actually really up for change. So I think it's about um, simply finding the time to step back and being brave enough, and actually someone giving you the license to actually make really large changes. I think it's it's very easy to kind of make incremental changes, and by the way, incremental changes are fine. But sometimes you need to kind of make leaps forward, and I, and I think. That's a bigger challenge for, for, for management of businesses because even though they might necessarily, uh, I guess, understand that and talk around it, I think there's a very big difference between going from what I call agreement to commitment. I think lots of people can kind of gain agreement and they need to change, but actually then moving that to commitment. And that's because you've got pounds, shillings and pence. Yeah, yeah. You've got a business to run. You've got a PL to deliver as well as actually deliver you know clients, services to clients. And it's how do you then, if you like, that horrible phrase of fixing the airplane while you're still in flight. Horrible, cheesy phrase, but I kind of, that's the only one I can think of. that's quite useful. So you're in a global role. I mean, I am. how much of your business is located where? Um, we are literally global. We are truly, truly global. Yeah. Um, so we're in over 60 markets. Um, in, ter- in terms of, I guess, footprint, you'd expect our revenue are now kind of like to be skewed according to the way in which the global economy is skewed so yeah. you know whether it be Germany the US obviously a massive market for us the UK China you know but you know India increasingly an emerging market which is which is massive for us so so we do reflect the world we reflect clients by, by our very nature um, but we are absolutely global the
0: reason why I ask that is you talk about it's fine to, to kind of have incremental change yeah. we often think of Europe and maybe the UK is being a little risk averse, and we think of the West Coast being the type of place where you might make those big jumps, or maybe even yeah. the, the Far East now with China. Yeah, yeah. And I just wondered if that was kind of reflected, and if you had to, if you in your role you had to look at those geographies and operate slightly differently accordingly, whether or not actually that's not the case.
2: Um, I think it's absolutely true that you you definitely see, and I don't think it's about big or small, <clears throat> right? I think it's down to the nature of the individuals, the nature of the client challenges in those markets, the individuals that lead those kind of individual markets as well. So, um, you know, one of the things I often hear is it's easier to kind of like innovate from within a big market versus a small market. That's not that's not true at all. In my experience, some of our most innovative markets are in inverted commas, slightly kind of perceived to be smaller markets from a revenue perspective. Um, So it's not about that, I think. Um, But I also don't think that it's necessarily around regional sort of like norms either anymore, because a lot of these platforms that we kind of work with are global in nature. Hmm. Google is everywhere, you know, Facebook is everywhere, Twitter is everywhere, you know, Amazon is increasingly everywhere. Okay, you know, in Southeast Asia, you have a different set of major mega platforms, you know, whether it be kind of Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba. Yeah. But the reality is, um, I think the ability to innovate on those platforms, I think, it has become a lot more democratized globally as a result. So really then it's just down to where the where the fires of innovation are and actually kind of working out where they are, grabbing them and absolutely kind of stealing with pride and democratising it across the world. But not necessarily as skewed as you might think. So if those fires of innovation are, are kind of found throughout the world and you've got lots of technology
0: yeah. platforms that allow for innovation, yeah. where is that driving your market? Because you, you must see some really
2: interesting user cases of technology that, that are Totally different to what you would have seen maybe five, ten years ago. Yeah, completely different. Um, I think that we are, I think we've always been very, very adept, um, if you like, at operating platforms that the big tech giants necessarily, you know, offer up to us. I think what's really shifting is actually not just operating on those tech platforms. working with those platforms uh, in a very innovative and bespoke way so i'm not saying hacking them but you know because that's not what i mean but you know not just kind of doing an operational job but really innovating and actually working with them to say have you actually thought about using your platform in this way and we've had this idea and i think that's a big shift if you like um, from a tech platform perspective i mean i'd say agencies have always been pretty good at finding ways to break things and i mean that in a positive way and innovate so it's not as if it's Something that's a newly a newly acquired behaviour for us uh, across the industry. Advertisers,
0: yeah, have surely got to think about their customers in a. or at least there's probably pressure on the industry as a whole to think about customers in a slightly different way. With Sir Tim Berners-Lee taking up yeah. the kind of the Open Web um, yeah. campaign for one of a better words yeah. off the top of my head, and, yeah. and people also questioning ownership of data. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of pressure from organisations like Dot Everyone as well to think about the responsible uh, tech angle. Um, And and they're talking about, you know, don't build tech for the individual, build tech for society. How is is all of that dynamic then impacting you and
2: how you help guide your clients? Well, do you know what? What's quite interesting is um, the whole kind of um, brand safety explosion that happened a few years ago, I think, is really brought to the fore... Um, albeit these voices have been in the you know out there for some time, I think you know you've got to understand you know a lot of these platforms and especially some of these big shifts in, in focus have only really happened in the last ten years, um, so it's relatively new and nascent. And I think the industry, I suppose, was catching up with how they actually kind of worked with these platforms in a in a in a way that was both effective and efficient for their bottom lines, but also responsible. And I think the privacy explosion that happened really brought to the fore some issues that have been bubbling away and you know had been you know being discussed in sort of like forums for some time but they became national they became you know very public and I think we all have a duty of care as a result of that to think about how we are using technology responsibly how we are using data responsibly and certainly I you know from clients that I speak to that's massively high on their agenda it's almost item number one simply because they you know they all work they all exist in an environment where, you know, they need to actually be trusted by consumers. You know, it's a mass. you know, it's a massive reflection of their, the value they add to consumers' lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's any element of what they do that erodes that trust, it fundamentally undermines what they're about as a business, irrespective of how good or not, pro- you know, product and service can be. So for me, I think it's had a massive impact and I think it's right up there in terms of number one. You mentioned there kind of talking about
0: data and its use and responsible use of data.
2: Well, yeah. Before we hit record,
0: you described (laughs) data as being the unsexy conversation. Yeah, it is, yeah. And obviously responsibility doesn't tend to go with the word sexy, but there we go. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Why is that the case though? Because to unlock stuff like AI and all the funky stuff that we can build now, You need good data. Everyone's familiar with the concept of bias in, bias out. So why is it that data is still seen as this unsexy thing? Because you'd imagine
2: that in an organisation, it's the bit that they they are really focused on getting right. And they are. But I would say that as an industry, there's an awful lot of column inches that are either spoken about or written about or vlogged about uh, around the sexier elements, whether it be AI, ANI, machine learning, algorithms, etc., And, you know, and there's an awful lot of discussion around, you know, the benefits, the very clear benefits that those things can bring. But I think there's an assumption by people that the algorithm is built on a data set that's absolutely, you know, fit for purpose. And that someone somewhere within that supply chain or that value chain has done a very good auditing job. Um, And I think that assumption is... Is something that we need as an industry to absolutely challenge and make sure that we're really comfortable with the data that sits under it. And it's, you know, my first job in this industry was actually for a lifestyle database company. So, yep. you know, I've always been around data. It's never necessarily been seen as a, an interesting or sexy topic. But, you know, I think, what was it, as far back as 2012, you know, someone said the sexiest job will be a data scientist. I think that, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. Um, I think that's kind of true, but we need to make them sexy. You know, even the way in which we used to talk about the industry above the line and below the line. You know, where data used to be very much below the line, below the stairs. You know, um, and I think we've kind of got, got to get over that slightly and actually realise that this stuff's really important.
0: It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and you're right about this kind of. so many column inches given over to AI etc the entire growth of the industry up to this point has been built on the fact that consumers are happy to use Amazon etc but there seems to be this growing awareness that the general public don't trust tech like they implicitly did maybe five years ago there are more (laughs) bad news stories out there and if, if people don't think about data responsibly i suppose that's just going to further erode it so surely it's in the industry's
2: best interests absolutely to start talking about this and getting people back on site you know what i can you know i think there are a number of folks that absolutely are talking about this but i think we need to make sure that the voices are even louder Um, and that it's actually you know we actually make these points even you know in in a more kind of like overt way um and that's not to sort of uh Because you're completely right. You know, consumers will... Actually, you know what? Consumers are pretty savvy, actually. You know, there's an assumption that people don't understand what and how their data is being used. And I'm not sure that's necessarily as true today as it maybe has been. I
0: think it might be a bit of a lazy assumption.
2: I think think it's an assumption that we should challenge now. I think people are more informed than we give them credit for. Okay. Um, But what I do think is that um, we absolutely need to make sure that we act responsibly, not to erode that that trust even further you know there's an implied assumption that amazon will be treating my do- my data responsibly and the value exchange i get is tailored experiences and recommendations you know people are pretty pretty okay with that actually you know um but you're absolutely right we do need to make sure that as an industry we're challenging data practices that we are actually kind of like when we talk to sort of like businesses and they talk to me about you know their targeting capabilities you know and the question is well where did the data come from yeah yeah you know, and if you can't tell me how you how you got that data and you know how it more importantly how it's being modeled and used and audited i've got a question mark on you know i've got a question mark over whether or not it's the right thing i should you know for my clients
0: so if we get away from the from the grown-up conversation for, uh. for a minute and finish on something a bit more fun <laughs> you were talking about sonic triggers before we hit record which is a new idea or, or a new concept i just i think yeah well, i just thought what, what are you what are you working on with clients in a minute so, that, so, that does sound a bit more yeah. interesting in terms of
2: the attention-grabbing headline stuff. So I guess one of the one of the absolute joys, true joy of my job, is that I spend, you know, a fair bit of time thinking about the future. Right. Not necessarily completely kind of you know crystal ball gazing, but you know what are those trends that we're seeing that might really become more you know major over the next sort of three, five years, you know, and there are a whole bunch of them, but, you know, one of them clearly is voice, you know, and we've seen Alexa and yes, it's kind of been a bit of a bubble in terms of, um, you know, it's had a lot of exposure and, and, you know, the industry's now moving on to other things like augmented reality, you know, HoloLens, you know, it's beginning to kind of resurface again, but we shouldn't actually forget Uh, voice is what I call is a mega trend in the sense that you know the way in which we actually navigate decision making will be done through voice it's interesting to me for example in in many markets you know people don't don't type emails or texts they increase they pretty much as a default use the dictation function on their smartphones now we in the UK tend to type quite a lot. you're beginning to see dictation coming through when it comes to kind of meeting notes and stuff, but not real mainstream. But the reality Maybe we're is just that a bit British to kind of stand there. Well, I don't there. <laughs> know. It's just, you know, different, you know, again, you know, different societies, cultures, different yeah, yeah, cultures, yeah. they do things in a different way and we should absolutely respect that. But, you know, the way in which we navigate decision-making, the way in which we make purchase decisions, you know, that's going to be as much hourly as it is kind of visually moving forwards. If yeah. you believe that, you know, mechanisms, technologies like Alexa or Google Home will actually start to curate decisions for us when it comes to purchasing decisions and in that kind of environment you know you can't necessarily see a, a brand palette or a, or a logo so how do you actually kind of create a brand personality you know we've done quite a bit of work into the different types of accents that people tend to act more positively towards now this is a uk-based for now but you know you could apply that in every country in the world and therefore when you're thinking about your brand identity should you also include an accent within that for your sort of you know what's the accent of your brand you know this is quite interesting i have to admit i've always wondered why
0: a betting company would have someone like ray winston because it's instantly i just think gangster spear someone not necessarily to trust, which I well, always thought maybe doesn't reinforce the brand in a positive way. But obviously, someone is someone very intelligent has made that decision that he is positive for their brand. Absolutely,
2: yeah. You know that decision won't have been made on a whim. Yeah. You know, so there will have been an awful lot of insight and research into into why. Their target audience would actually act, react more positively towards, yeah, I guess, who's yeah. probably a bit of an, you know, a lovable rogue, an honest broker, actually. So less, you know? less
0: maybe to do with his accent, more to do with that personality. I think it's a bit more that personality
2: rather than the accent, but but yeah. But yeah, you're in a good place because apparently the northeast, the northeastern accent, is absolutely well, part, you know, apart from the fact that mine's buried. After well, that. yours is buried, I have to say, <laughs> after many years down south. Yeah, if, yeah. I w- if I watch football or I have a few beers, oh, well, you go back instant. up there, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but the yeah. so to me, I think that's really interesting. You know, how do we kind to of start to think about advising clients on how to take advantage of that situ- that new situation? So yeah, yeah that's yeah. just one one of many examples. So.
0: Well, look, it's been a pleasure uh, to spend a bit of time with you over coffee. Thanks for making some time to come and talk to us. It's a absolute pleasure. And uh, good luck as the,
2: as the company continues to grow. Thank you very much.
0: There's a point early on in this interview where he's describing why he's a chief transformation officer. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of obvious that he makes this point. But it's still quite interesting that he makes it. So he talks about products, and he talks about how products change you. And actually, as someone who is leading their product offering to their clients, being chief transformation officer fits, because actually the products are absolutely crucial to internal transformation. And I guess... That's a really neat idea. If you're trying to transform your business, what you build, the product set that you build for your clients, you might think that it's going to have an effect on their environment, but it's going to have a massive effect on your environment. You can't build sexy digital products in an arcane, disorganised environment.
1: It really, really reminds me of the troubles that uh, Johnny Hugo alluded to at our live event by saying the reason that the public sector is so far behind with tech and IT contracts is that they all go to one supplier predominantly or a handful of little suppliers. By the time that product has served its function it's so ingrained into their way of working and being that it becomes a legacy system that that company can, can then only unpick themselves and yep. update themselves which is why you get stuck in that horrible cycle of Working with the same IT supplier, Johnny said we should be working with thousands of IT tech suppliers, not just the select eleven that they do. And Jason just sort of reverberates that point in further. If you will,
0: he also talks about how it's 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 difficult to fix the airplane while still in flight. Um, (laughs) I love that analogy. It just made me think of Father Ted, uh, the episode Tentacles of Doom, where Dougal's out trying. No, Ted's trying out to, to 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 fix the airplane. With some sellotape.
1: I mean, I I know Father Ted. I, I Not recording that episode? Not recording that specific episode. Don't watch it. Yeah. Don't watch it.
0: Um, but he talks about the fact that you sometimes need to make giant leaps forward. Incremental leaps are all very good and whatnot, but you need to make giant leaps forward as an organisation.
1: I mean, and Neil Armstrong didn't say this is one small step for man, one incremental step for mankind or whatever he <laughs> no, said. No, he right? didn't. Yeah. No,
0: he didn't. It definitely wasn't an incremental step. No, it wasn't. Um, but there we go Uh, but he goes on to talk about how agreement to commitment is part of that step so you can get agreement at a senior stakeholder level Mm. getting commitment to actually drive through that Mm -hmm. change different ballpark
1: yeah I mean Again, sorry to keep harking back, but that's almost like the ideal flatmate scenario, isn't it? They've got the chairman on board who was committed to that product. Yep. And it's all well and good for a, a board or a C-level group sit there and say, yeah, we, we like that, that could work. But if they're not going to help you follow it through and ensure that it you know, reaches its end user or whatever or is actually working, you're just going to end up with a product that you like and you yeah. use and that's it. So I thought that
0: was interesting. There's quite a lot here that we disagree with though.
1: Yeah, I mean, we did something... F- Funny how we did something for the first time ever today, and then we listened to it together. Yes, and we both sort of said, "I mean, look, Jason clearly is much more smart and more expert than we are in this is situation." He? Is he?
0: Yes,
1: yeah, he's a okay. CTO. Come on, Dave, what do yeah. we do? I have to disagree. The fact that data is an unsexy conversation. I think, I
0: think data's sexy.
1: It's so sexy. What's sexier than fact? What's sexier than not like being able to see something that you've done every second of every day? Tell you what, is nothing. That's what gets me. That's that's what I wake up in the morning and I Thinking think about data. straight away I'm like, God, what what data outcomes will I see today? But no, I mean, <laughs> look, we might be taking the joke too far here, but we were at uh, the Data Expo event and we started. going to keep keep talking about this chap whose name I've unfortunately forgotten, but he was the CEO of the DMA, and he made data, oh Chris, Chris, and he made data sound incredibly sexy. Mm. You know, in when we do, that's good.
0: I guess it's data itself is unsexy, but what data unlocks is incredibly sexy. And that's not just the bleeding edge tech, but it's the trust piece as well. Yep, Data is fundamental to GDPR. GDPR is actually an opportunity, and it's how you think about this. It's how you frame it. Um, And I think it's a shame that people might think of data as being unsexy because it misses what it enables you to do as an organization.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I, I think, data is data is incredibly sexy but the conversations around it are so too i mean it's almost like when you talk about dating now it's almost like you're talking about either a trustworthy ex-boyfriend or an untrustworthy ex-boyfriend when when jason says that it's not as sexy in comparison to writing about ai and machine learning that's bang on of course it's mm-hmm. like it's sexier to write about the fact that you can either a be killed by a robot or b fuck a robot is a definitely sexier conversation than having like what, I t- what's i'm talking? not
0: i'm not sure that is sexy to be honest with you you haven't seen these robots okay um... <laughs> What about this implied assumption that Amazon will be treating my data responsibly? That, that's interesting, right? When he's talking about clients, he talks about the fact that it's their number one item. You need to be trusted, right? Now, I think there's this thing where smaller brands have to fight to be trusted. And big tech almost can get away with not giving a shit.
1: And that's wrong.
0: It's incredibly wrong. But I know Facebook are coming in for a huge amount of flack. Yep. And we've said it before, but I still use WhatsApp and I still use Instagram. I might yep. not use Facebook very often, but I haven't deleted my account. And they're still growing. And yes, negative, negative, negative. Aren't Facebook evil? Is the company still thriving? Is it still successful? Yes. It's There's one set of rules for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then a completely different set of rules for those big companies in the stratosphere.
1: Of course, because they get tax breaks and they'll threaten to move know, and move but... jobs if they don't. But I think the thing for me is Amazon aren't trustworthy. I can't trust a business whose founder's penis I've seen in a photograph, you know? I like, haven't. If he can't even look after his own dirty pictures, well, how am I going to trust him with my dirty pictures, you know? It's not that I have any. And ask Rosie, believe me, I don't.
0: Well, we'll, we'll find out next week. Yeah, okay, Spoiler,
1: I'm... anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean... You're totally right like we use these platforms, but just because we use Facebook, Amazon, that doesn't mean that we trust them. It's just easy. And it's yeah. like it's our fault for trusting them at the get-go with all of our data and stuff like that. But now we're so ingrained into this that we're too long in the tooth. I,
0: I think there's an element that when I first started using Facebook, it was just exciting. And yeah. we- I was 14 as well. You we know? didn't know. We didn't understand those no. concepts. And now we're so invested in those platforms and they are so integral to kind of what we do it's gonna take a real sea change to move away from that.
1: Me. I mean, up until I was about 18, data was a scientific term for science. I mean, I was a bit of a blasé teenager, of course, but it's only like- data, know, data
0: was a character on Star Trek, The Next Generation.
1: Well, exactly, right? So it's only now that like data is so integral to everyone's, day, uh, everyone's day-to-day yeah. life, that it is so sexy. So, Jason, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, you know, data is sexy. Facts turn me on. <laughs>
0: Um right, last point. I love this idea You love love you love the idea of that accent man. Digital palettes. Yeah. Brilliant. If you yeah. if you're using voice. Yeah. You obviously you can't it's perfect you can't see a brand so you have to be able to hear a brand mm-hmm. and that's a wonderful idea mm. that is a wonderful idea and I suppose radio advertising for many years you've got jingles and so on mm-hmm. but it's an extension of that isn't it
1: yeah yeah definitely um, I mean it's just uh, I mean we, we can't talk about this without saying if you could change Alexa Alexa's voice or Siri's voice to yes. anyone else's voice in the world that you could who would you change it to
0: Holly from Red Dwarf You'd have to choose
1: something fucking obscure that only someone you'd not, right. no, 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 not all of us watched Red Dwarf and Father Ted. Some of us were brought up on different comedy that wasn't on, you know, but BBC you, Two. You know who Holly yeah, is? Yeah, of course I know. Yeah, of computer.
0: <laughs> you're just making a point when you yeah. know exactly what
1: I know. No, I know, I know but I mean, at least go Craig Charles if you're going to say Red Dwarf. Like, he's got oh, no, he's the medicine. computer. No, I know. Okay, right. So Holly like- is the
0: computer. Wait, but All right. If I'm changing Alexa
1: to another robot voice.
0: No, but it's not, because Holly has a personality. Brilliant.
1: So I don't, I don't see, alright, fair enough, whatever. I would say Scarlett You're because of how well she does in her. That's exactly the same thing, it's just no, it's a not. more
0: relevant, recent example. Holly is a bit more, you know, niche.
1: Alright, maybe it's not then. That niche. What about no, but I'm thinking like you've got to go like so when I was very young, yeah, and definitely. I was watching incredibly inappropriate TV used to watch a TV programme called Strutter, right? And it's done by a man called Paul Kay, who's quite a relatively famous English actor. It's all gone Pete Tong, Black Ball. Dennis Pennis, isn't it? Dennis Pennis, yes. So anyway, his comedy creation after Dennis Pennis was a uh, bloke called Mike Strutter, yep. a New York soprano kind of gangster, who basically did, you've been Framed," but narrated it as a New York gangster. Now anyway, he was it was on MTV about midnight. Me and my friend would just stab and watch it religiously. Anyway, he brought out his own... This is this showing my age a bit now. Back when you could change the voice of your own sat-nav via a MIDI disc. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a craze, but not not much of a craze. Anyway, it's so... Like
0: Mr. T telling you, you know...
1: Exactly. I ain't going to the airport for all. But, like... <laughs> it's a bad joke. But no, Strata did that, and we downloaded it onto the... And he's very rude to it, say things like, Turn the key, Motherfucker.
0: Right, brilliant. So we're going to go to the advert break, but I want the listeners to get involved with something. Mm. I'd love it if someone actually did this. I want someone to get in touch with us, um, ideally probably through Twitter, if you're listening. Yeah. Right, at tech double underscore talks. Tell us what the digital palette for tech talks should be.
1: Very good question, yeah. I
0: want to know what it should be, because obviously at the minute you've got faux Geordie and Kind of Essex but yeah. I'd like to know what our digital palette should be.
1: It's very interesting that, isn't it? I suppose we've definitely not received pronunciation, aren't we, so it wouldn't be well, your posh voice to represent us. And let's leave it to them. Yeah, they'll come up with better ideas than us.
0: Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say with Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have pa- passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we do with children with disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Jack, shall I go first or do you um, want to? I've gone first a lot lately. Okay, here we go. Apple, obviously we've got to talk about Apple throwing money at the bank.
1: Credit card, Apple, credit card, right? Yeah, they're going to yeah. have a
0: credit card. They're pushing a new credit card. Um, interesting actually, because I saw 11FS saying, well, this has got to be surely a worry for banks. And a lot of people going, why? Why is it going to be a worry for banks? But. Fundamentally, Apple are a huge company. Any market that they enter is going to be disrupted, put at notice, I suppose, of them entering.
1: Supermarkets have been doing this shit for years, no surprise about that.
0: Yeah, but they're not Apple. Sure. And as we know, I mean, the reason that uh, iTunes took off was not really the devices themselves, but the way that the whole the ecosystem. ecosystem works and they all integrated. Which I
1: love, by the way. I'm going to get one of these straight away.
0: Well, I suppose that they, they're going to have to make it more appealing than adding your bank. At the minute, someone will probably go, well, if I can add a virtual card via Apple Pay...
1: You get. Um, I was reading, you get, um, if you buy an Apple product, or if you buy any product using the new Apple Pay the Apple Credit card, you get 2% cash back. But if you buy an Apple product, you get 3%. Cash back. That's yeah. right.
0: So the company's offering 2% cash back, paid daily on any purchase made with the card using Apple Pay, mm. and 3% on a purchase made with Apple itself, including the App Store and Apple Music. For purchases made in stores and online that don't take Apple Pay, of which there are a lot, the rate's lower at 1%. Okay? So those yeah. figures show how much Apple is willing to pay to make its card a success. And that's true. They're basically buying people, uh, people's custom. Yeah, definitely. And they'll have to do that in the first instance. But the thing is, they've got the resources and the scope to be able to do it. And that's why it's an interesting one.
1: Yeah. And they're in every single financial capital of the world as well, you know. Yeah. like what, They're European based in Switzerland, right? Is it Zurich? I don't hey, know, God, I'm well, not sure. I think it might be. Well, they definitely have a function there, because... I mean, yeah, this is just... Um, do you know what surprised me most? That it's 2019 and we're only just hearing about it now.
0: Yeah, but I suppose if you think about it, I mean... When was the last time that Apple did anything particularly innovative? In Look, particularly innovative.
1: <sighs> I mean, I suppose the watch? I, I, I mean, they're far behind on the old home voice stuff. There's no, There's no Alexa, there's no in-house Siri. Yep. Um, the watch was pretty well how old's the watch now four or five years Yeah. but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't all that no no I don't know many people that have got it too much. I think people still prefer Fitbit to it yeah um, yeah I mean it's been a while I mean this alongside the news that there's going to be the Apple Plus TV channel subscription uh, is another sort of I think you know it's not Steve Jobs levels of innovation Tim Apple as, T- as Trump calls him is doing a fine job but... did you
0: see who they've partnered with for this by the way
1: for credit card stuff For their card, yeah. Uh, Revolut? No. No, no, I'm
0: really excited. God. Goldman Sachs. Oh, fuck's sake. Yeah. Couldn't be any more traditional and evil. Also, I
1: swear that the head of Goldman Sachs said cryptocurrency will never take off. It was either Goldman Sachs or JP.
0: Well, this this isn't crypto. This is. No, I know, but like
1: him saying that just shows us a bit of a dinosaur, right?
0: oh yeah that's my that's point being
1: that he's there against innovation but again
0: think. it's all down to Skrilla the yeah, old bunts exactly yeah that's sad. Apple have got resources I, I think the interesting thing will be to see if it takes off mm. do then Barclays traditional banks whatever have to go shit we need to follow suit is it going to start to it's you know this the
1: second disruption of financials you've got BA yeah
0: in the airplane market income budget airlines BA yeah, have to offer budget airlines because they have to compete. Yeah. I know it's kind of different, but it's, that's how markets work, right?
1: I mean, yeah. I, I, I struggle to sympathize with large banks having to innovate and circumvent round to keep up with Apple now because large banks are disgusting corporations that steal people's pensions and savings to, to, to pay their bonuses and stuff. Yeah. So fuck large banks, first and foremost. Not Lloyds, if you're listening, Lloyds, you're my bank. Uh, <laughs> you don't so, want to be. You don't want to be like uh, <laughs> blacklisted. Nah, 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 nah. And they've been disrupted once. We see Revolut, Monzo, and a few mm-hmm. others doing good Starling. stuff. Yes, darling. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I part of me almost thinks like you get all those big banks in the room. and go, oh, "That's cute." They're trying to keep up with us, but they'll never have the pull and the resource that we get. And now Apple's going to come along and say, "Actually, we've got more pull, more resource more strength, more ingrainedness in people's lives than you." So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah fuck big banks
0: we talk about trust a lot people inherently trust Apple do and they trust they trust Apple more than they trust Android when it comes to things like paying for stuff like apps because they feel that they're more heavily regulated the so Android that's only going to play well
1: yeah the Android marketplace is a joke you don't trust
0: apps? you don't trust apps on Android but you do yeah. trust apps on, on, on the iTunes or what the App Store that?
1: what have Apple done and sorry for sound like I mean I might be naive or totally forgotten it but as big as the Cambridge Analytica scam, sort of thing. As big as an oil spill. Uh, nothing strikes out, you know. Steve Jobs was a bit of a tyrant in his time, but he never, you know, was caught up in a Me Too kind of fiasco or anything like that. You know, what have Apple done to make us not trust them? Almost, you know.
0: That's a good question. Look, before we move on to your article, I just wanted to uh, give a couple of shout-outs because we did ask people to rate and review the show.
1: And people still rate and review the show, please.
0: Yeah, but we've been told by TFM1402 uh, that we're fully informative and totally relevant. So thank you for the kind comment. You're totally wrong, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> and TechGal123 loves the show. Um, Who would have figured, eh? Confession. You're both of them?
1: TechGal123 is Rosie.
0: Ah oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know gal. I can't
1: like that nickname as well. I was just like, don't put my real name down, I was like, because oh. <laughs> you fear that something else like will happen. And I was like, oh, I'll put Techgal one, two, three down then.
0: Oh, I think I'll leave that fake praise in there. And my one, it
1: actually says from my reviews is Jack Pierce.
0: That's, <laughs> that's transparent and obvious. That's fair. Uh, do you know who Finn's dodgy leg is? No, Finn's dodgy leg. Enjoy this podcast laid back style, but it allows you to deep dive on the issues with the guests.
1: Perfect. Thank you for the Yeah,
0: Love it. Um, and Sabrina Johnson, who actually I know is not someone who works for Harvey Nash, she works for Drivi, um, who are coming up on the show recently, uh, recently soon. Mm. Um, very informative on the technology side. Look at this, Jack. I know we're making waves, mate. Look, I actually really do appreciate everyone who's saying nice things to us. Um, it shows that we're not wasting your time as well as ours. Uh, please do continue to rate and like the show, it's very kind.
1: Yeah, yeah, do because you know the higher up the charts we get, the the bigger our egos get.
0: Well, certainly yours. Anyway, what's yeah. your article?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm going to do it straight from the brain because I've seen it in knocking around in the news this week. I actually put it in our WhatsApp chat, but I can't be open it. You've forgotten, Buddy Holly, <laughs> Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison are touring next year. This year, hang on. Yeah, they're dead, right? They are both dead. Yeah. So, our friend Sanj at Tigerheart will be pleased to hear that there's another hologram tour going. Uh, he did the two-pack Hologram Coachella about six or seven years ago. So, he's doing it, right? No, 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 I don't think it's him. Oh, well, he, might not be, not be, he, he might not be pleased then. Well, no, but he's probably like, oh, six, was copied my idea. or he's probably okay, gonna be, okay. I don't know if he's done it. Shit, I should have read that up, actually. <laughs> anyway, the point being that these hologram tours never took off. It never happened. And now we're getting... I mean, look, I like the music of Buddy Holly. I love the music of Roy Orbison. They're not two people that I would rush out to go see their Hollywood. They're quite Wait,
0: stiff and wooden when they play wasn't, wasn't Roy supposed to be a bit of a weirdo?
1: Roy Orbison is a tragic hero. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of his life entirely, but I do know that he built his family home and his whole family burnt to death in it. And he wasn't in it. Great story. Yeah. But he drove all night as well, so... Just to get to you. So
0: where, where are they touring? I suppose they can. Oh. Tour, I suppose they can tour anywhere.
1: Yeah. yeah the moon. Um, so we have October seventh, Dublin. Uh, this is just the UK leg of the tour. So yeah, everywhere you got.
0: Dublin's become the UK. Like Brexit whatever. In the uh,
1: fuck off. <laughs> Dublin, Belfast, Newcastle, the Utilita Arena in Newcastle. The where? The Utilita. They
0: arena. must have renamed it from being the Metro Arena because there is only one arena.
1: Cool. Apollo. Uh, we're in London for. Hammersmith Apollo in London is where they're ending their tour, so they're not expecting it to be a Wembley crowd, please at all if they do at Hammersmith Apollo. But it's quite sweet, and do you know what I like about this is—and sorry if I sound condescending to older generations—whereas in the past I've been horrible to older generations. But if you're if you're a fan of these people, you uh, remind you of your parents and things like that. You know, this sort of very fifties specific sort of doo woppy soft rock music. And you don't go to that many gigs anymore, you know, you feel isolated from it, stuff like that. This is a great night out. You know, you, it might be a bit weird to see them It's like a hologram, but you know, you'll be amongst people who've got similar interests to you. I just think it's a really good, sweet idea. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen either of them two to do a hologram tour if I'd have done Elvis. Like, please, you'd have sold out Elvis in a heartbeat. But, Probably a lot harder to get the image rights for Elvis and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, so I just think it's a it's it's a cool thing that I mean I might even go along to it later in the year. My friend Joe who sent me the link.
0: Do you enjoy that?
1: Yeah. Let's just hope I quite uh, pick another Royal I don't have to drive all night to get there. Same joke again.
0: Look, have a lovely weekend every... Oh, hang on. It's oh, no. Monday. I hope you had a lovely weekend. And hopefully I won't be running scared after the Royal Orbison oh, show. God. Ah. There we go. Right. Um, Jack, best of luck in the new job. I'm, yeah. Actually, I don't know why I'm saying that because I'm going to see you next week and you're off next week. So yeah. we'll, sa- we'll save that for next week. Yeah, we've got, um, uh,
1: we've got a big day out on Monday, haven't we? We have. No I spoilers. Think,
0: I don't think we should say anything just yet. No spoilers. Um... But if you follow our our Instagram feed or our Twitter feed, you'll work out why we're saying that come Monday evening. Mm. But until then, everyone, ciao. Ciao, baby. Uh.